Did I even tell you to turn to First Thessalonians? Did I even tell you all that? I ain't never said a word about it, did I? And I'm planning on us being out by seven. So if you would turn back to First Thessalonians, we were just here a couple of weeks ago in chapter five. We're going to back up one verse from where we were a couple of weeks ago, and then we're going to read a few verses past that. First Thessalonians chapter five, beginning in verse number 16, says, "Rejoice evermore. Rejoice evermore." Boy, that's a couple of powerful words. Rejoice evermore. Then our text from a couple of weeks ago, pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the spirit, despise not prophecy, prove all things, hold fast to that which is good, abstain from all appearance of evil. The very God of peace sanctify you wholly. I pray God your your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. Miss Freed, I didn't give you this, but if you guys with your Bible open want to look at verse 27, Paul is closing this letter out. He says, I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. That means when the Holy Spirit wrote this through the hand of Paul, he said, I charge that this letter be written to all of the church, all of the redeemed. I want to bring a message this morning on the joy of the Lord. God, thank you so much for being so good. Thank you, Lord, for 14 souls baptized, Lord, that the, the outward evidence of an inward change of 14 people that are redeemed of the blood of the Lamb of God have trusted Christ. Thank you, Father, that we can say that we are one. Of such were some of ye. We were lost and undone, but now we're washed in the blood. We're children of God. Thank you for your presence in this place, God. Thank you for your sweet spirit. Thank you for the way you've used the choir, Lord. I pray now, Father, that you'd set aside anything in me, Father, that would, that would be a hindrance to your Holy Spirit. I pray you'd cleanse me, make me a usable vessel, anoint my tongue that you might use words. But God, I pray pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to everybody in this place, everybody by way of live stream, however they may hear God. I ask you that your words according to your own go out not void. Lord, I pray that you'd go out and touch each and every one and meet, meet every need, God. Everybody in this place is facing something different today. God, I pray you'd meet each one of us where we are and help us to walk out of here more in line with you, more in love with you, more eager to serve you, and more touched by you, God. We love you, thank you, and praise you in Jesus' precious, sweet, holy name. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys and be seated as standing. I, the, the Bible tells us here that, that we're in everything to give thanks. But what, what do I do with the bad things in my life? Well, what do I do with, with, with the bad times that come? I mean, I, I'm, I only have me. I'm a bad enough example that I don't need any help from anybody else. But I, I've had times in my life and I'm sure you've had times in yours, that at that time, I didn't feel too thankful. At that time, I didn't feel like getting up and, and praising. I've been in some situations that at the time, I didn't really just feel like doing a shouting spell. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Don't let me lose you in the first two minutes. Don't write me off as a heathen. I'm not the only one. Somebody else in here has been through something in our life that we just didn't feel like shouting right then. Probably every one of us in this place can say things, but you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what I've been through. 
You, you just don't understand what's happening in my life. You don't understand what's going on in my family. You don't understand what's happening at, at my job. You, you don't understand. You don't realize the financial strain that my family is under. You, you have no idea what I'm dealing with. You're right, I don't. Nor do you know what I deal with. But I do know this. The one that matters knows. God knows all things at all times, and God says that we can rejoice evermore. You know, the Apostle Paul penned this, of course, by the unction of the Holy Spirit. But when, when Paul wrote this, he's not dining at the king's table. Paul didn't use a man wearing fine linen, dressed in the finest things, eating the best meals and, and living the high life, eat, drink, and be merry. No, the Holy Spirit didn't use a man like that. He used the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul is in a Roman prison cell when he writes this. He writes this letter to the church being, being in chains. Being, not, not only that, but the Nero. When Paul first requested that he wanted his petition to be heard in Rome and, and plead on his Roman citizenship, since he got there, Nero has changed. He had established some relationship with the one, but now that has changed and not so much to his advantage. So he's in prison awaiting a trial that can result in his death. He's been beaten many times, shipwrecked, stranded at sea. He tells us in his letter to the church at Corinth, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24, he said, of the Jews, five times received I 40 stripes, save one. So the Jews themselves have, have beat him with a whip Five times. He says in verse 25, thrice, there's number three, thrice I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. I mean, he was stoned and left for dead. God delivered him from that. He says, thrice I've suffered shipwreck. A night and a day have I been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and in thirst. He says, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Paul knows what it's like to suffer persecution. He's got scars on his body. He's got stripes on his back to prove what he's been through. His body carries the marks of a man who understands pain and suffering and tribulation and, and trials. Paul's not living the life of royalty here when the Holy Spirit says, write to the, th to the church at Thessalonica, who also is a church under persecution. If you study them that day, Christians are under heavy persecution. He says, while you're in persecution, I want you to write to those who are in persecution and tell them to rejoice evermore. Be happy at all times. So Paul is writing to, to these here. He's simply reminding Christians no matter what's going on in your life, no matter what's going on in your world, sometimes it's hard. I mean, we face some stuff that almost takes away the ability to smile. Don't see any smile in them. So, so you have someone who understands that, writing to a church that understands that, that says, hey, whatever's going on in your life, anybody still awake? You're going to need this one. Whatever's going on in your life, you can have victory in Jesus. Whatever's going on in your life, you can have victory in the one name. He is worthy. The name is Jesus. 
What can the enemy do to a man that sings at midnight in a prison cell after having been beaten? Acts chapter 16, verse 22. And talking about Paul and Silas, the multitude rose up together against them. The magistrates ran off their clothes, commanded to beat them. When they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely. I want to make sure you understand right here that jailer, they didn't say keep them safe as in put them in prison to protect them from the mob, and you make sure you keep them safe. No, it means you better keep them locked up. If they escape, you're a dead man. That's what it means by, I'm telling you, jailer, you better keep them safely. So having received such a charge, he thrust them into the inner prison, made their feet fast in the stocks, and at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. And the prisoners heard them. Listen, there's somebody around you that's going to hear your prayer. In your deepest, darkest, most sorrowful time, in your most heartbroken situation, the trial may not even be for you. It may be, seem unfortunate that you're the one having to go through it, but your trial might very well be for somebody else to see. And when they see you praising your God through the storm, they understand you've got something that they want. We see an entire prison right here. They heard them singing at midnight. They heard them giving praises to God. And the Bible says in verse 26 that suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bands were loosed. Midnight is the darkest time of the night. Considered the, the, to be the darkest time. That, that means at midnight, that is the most severe part of your storm, the darkest hour. Paul and Silas are in tremendous pain here from the beating. They're not just in a prison cell. They're in the inner prison. It's like a cold, damp dungeon, and they're chained hands and feet to the walls, let in pain so they can't even do anything about it to make themselves better. What can the enemy do with a man who sings at a time like this? Well, the same thing's true with you and I. What can the enemy do with somebody who sings in the storm? What can the enemy do with somebody who is so full of joy that no matter what happens, his soul sings a song full of joy and gladness? What can the enemy do with somebody that the harder he tries to knock you down, the more you look up? The harder he tries to tear you down, the more you reach up. The harder he tries to separate you from who you are, the closer you draw to God. What does the enemy do with a man like that? What, what do they do with one that the harder he tries to persecute you, the harder he tries to knock you down, the louder you sing? What can the enemy do with a man like that? You probably remember the story. I just told it a couple weeks ago. Remember about the two paintings? The, the, the king wanted a picture of perfect peace to put up, and there were two contestants left, and one of them was a painting of perfect peace and tranquility in a pond, and, and that seemed to be the obvious winner, you remember. The other one was a waterfall. It was a painting. It was water rushing over the edge and bouncing off the rocks and white foam and mist and wind, and it was everything but a picture of perfect peace. It was just noise and confusion, and it seemed to be nothing to do with peace until somebody noticed a little bird, you remember? Behind the waterfall, in the cleft of the rock, the bird had built this nest and was faintly visible in the storm back there singing. You remember the last line of the story? It said everyone knew that this was the perfect picture of peace, to be in the cleft of the rock in the middle of the storm and sing. 
All of us go through things. It may not be shipwrecks. It may not be the imprisonment. It may not be the things that the Apostle Paul went through. It may not be the things here that those in the church at Thessalonica are going through. But here's what they are. They're our things. And they're real things. They're, they're our tribulation. They're our troubles. They're the things that, that we're dealing with. And in our world, ours are just as hard now as theirs was then. So Paul basically says the enemy has no weapon against the one that the harder the enemy tries to silence you, the louder you sing. Jesus preaching the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. He said in verse number 11, Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad. And you remember, he just talked about tribulation. He just talked about you're in the midst of all this and you're being falsely accused. And he says, Rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven. So persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Now, there's something in this text, and this, I'll go ahead and tell you this is just a personal observation so as you hear. I'm not putting an opinion. I, I, I haven't read this from any scholars or theologians, and I'm certainly neither of the above. I'm, I'm called to teach this book, and I only seem to get in trouble when I meander, and I ought to just stay. But I saw something here that just, just made me wonder. I don't know. I mean, I know that the Word of God is written by the Holy Spirit. I know that the Holy Spirit used men to, to write these things, and I feel like there's something here that is just an observation. It may not even be real, but y'all going to bear with me for a minute. Let me tell you what it is. So he says, rejoice evermore. In the next statement, Paul says, pray without ceasing. I'm just wondering, did he stop writing for a few minutes and try to figure out the answer to verse number 16? Before we wrote verse number 17, we know from 2 Timothy 3.16 that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be thoroughly furnished unto all good works. We know from 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. But holy men of God spake as they were moved of the Holy Ghost. So the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, has moved Paul to write, Rejoice evermore. That means at all times and all things, no matter what's going on in your life, no matter how bad or how tragic, right now he says, Rejoice. Paul is in persecution. He knows who he's writing this letter to. He's going to send it to the church at Thessalonica. He knows that they are in persecution. And he says, Rejoice evermore. Be happy always. I just wonder if he stopped right there and thought about that for a minute. How? How, how, do, you, how do you do that? How, I mean, anybody can relate to maybe life hadn't turned out like I thought it would. Or, or maybe in a lot of cases, more like life was going great. And then this happened. And it, everything changed. How am I supposed to be happy now? How, how are we supposed to rejoice through tragedy? How are we supposed to rejoice through suffering and sorrow, heartache? How are we supposed to, to rejoice through, through hard times? How do we do that? How do we, how do we rejoice through disappointment? I'm just heathen enough to tell you the truth. I've been disappointed when my prayers didn't get answered the way I prayed them. I'm going to get fired yet. <laughs> then the Holy Spirit gives him the answer. This is how. 
Without any further discussion, it's like Paul takes his pen. He says, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. How can I be happy in the bad times? Pray without ceasing. How can I rejoice in the valley? Pray without ceasing. What about when I have a mountain before me that just won't move? Pray without ceasing. He says, whatever your thorn in the flesh is, whatever it is that I'm going through, if I want victory in Jesus over my situation, pray without ceasing. It's never too early to pray. It's never too late to pray. Never too hot, never too cold. There's never a time the veil is rent in twain from top to bottom. We have been given an invitation to come boldly into the throne room of grace, whereby we may obtain mercy. So Paul says, prayer is always available, and it's prayer that can get us through things, and it's prayer that gives us the ability to sing in the storm. Then in verse 18, he says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God and Christ Jesus concerning you. Anybody ever been in a situation, looking at that verse, and everything give thanks, this is the will of God concerning you. Anybody ever just been in a situation? How? How? How am I supposed to smile right now? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Y'all don't leave me hanging. How, how, how am I supposed to rejoice right now? When I look at everything that's going on, I, I want to I read a story real quick. It's from Alan Redpath. He writes about a friend. He says, a friend of his seems to have read this very verse the morning of his devotions. He decided to put it into practice. Starting that very morning, he'd give thanks in everything. He was leaving Mobile, Alabama by Greyhound bus that morning for an all-day trip. One of those hot and humid summer days, and it was back before air conditioning was common in buses and cars. The man arrived at the bus station in good time and secured himself a seat by the window and said, Thank you, Lord, for this seat. Lord, it's going to be a hot trip, but, but at least I can get some breeze. The bus began to fill up. However, the seat next to him remained vacant. He said, Thank you, Lord. It's going to be a long, hot trip. At least I'll have some room to, to spread out. The driver took his place. He started the bus, closed the door, and they're pulling off. He says, thank you, Lord. You've kept this seat open. This seat beside me, you've kept it empty. Just as the bus is about to pull away from the terminal, someone banged at the door. It was a late-arriving passenger, a very large woman, towing behind her a small boy. She clambered aboard. This is the part of love pouring with perspiration, glowing with heat like a furnace. She came down the aisle of the bus and passed a number of empty seats and flopped down heavily in the seat beside this man. She was quite unable to limit her bulk in the allotted space, and the overflow pressed hot and heavy against the dismayed and disappointed man. Waves of heat and strong odor of perspiration, you got to love it. Sometimes I'm thankful I can't smell things anymore. <laughs> the overflow pressed hot and heavy. They say waves of the heat and strong odor of perspiration en engulfed him. The woman hauled a little boy upon her lap, and he began to howl and kick his feet. And, and the man received his share of the flying feet, kicked on his legs. And the woman slapped the little boy, but that just made it worse. By way of consolation, the woman pulls out a pack of cigarettes lit one up and began to blow out volumes of smoke that added immeasurably to the man's discomfort. The boy finally settled down, the cigarette smoke smoldering. The woman fell asleep, and as she relaxed, she sagged heavily in the direction of the unfortunate man, who is now pressed so hard against the side of the bus he can hardly breathe. 
tentative shoves proved that he was hopelessly trapped. He sat there in growing misery, his temperature rising, his limbs cramped, his senses assailed with the smoke of body odor and cigarette smoke. He thought of his text that morning, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And he said, Lord, what is it that I have in this situation for which I can be thankful? And about that time, the Holy Spirit said, you can be thankful you're not married to her. Maybe not the best example. I don't know. This is an example. He went on to say, the point is, God expects us to rise above our circumstances. There's always something to be thankful for. Prayer is simply including God into every area of our lives. Verse 19, he says, quench not the spirit. The word quench comes from the word it means to extinguish or to put out. Albert Barnes says that the language is taken from a way of putting out a fire. And then the sense is we're not to extinguish the influences of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. If quenching the spirit was not possible, then the Holy Spirit would not have taken time to tell us this. We can quench the spirit by not doing what we know we should do or by doing what we know we shouldn't do, especially if we continue to do wrong. Then he goes on and says, despise not prophesying, prove all things, hold fast that which is good. Listen, no matter what anybody says, if it's your favorite televangelist, whatever you got, whatever you hear on the radio, it does not matter who they are. It does not matter what anyone says. If it cannot be backed up perfectly by this book in context, then it's false prophecy. This is the only constant absolute that we have, and everything must be measured by the constant absolute, not by one verse, but from in the beginning to amen, must be measured against the context of the Word of God, and anything that's not is false prophecy. And then Paul goes on, and he gives us a warning about the perception of people. Verse number 22, he says, Abstain from all appearance of evil. I've read that Billy Graham wouldn't even get on an elevator with a woman alone. Y'all read that? Y'all heard that? If he's on an elevator by himself and it stops at the floor and a woman by herself gets on the elevator, he gets off the elevator. If he's waiting for an elevator and he's pushed a button and a lady by herself comes up, the door opens, there's no one else on the elevator, he'd invite her to take the elevator and he would simply wait on another one. But he would not get on an elevator with another woman. You say, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard. I mean, I'm only going, I'm on the first floor, I'm only going to the second floor. What's going to happen in 10 feet? Maybe you're going to the 40th floor. It doesn't matter. You say, there's nothing going to happen with a strange individual in 40 floors on an elevator. I mean, you don't know when the door is going to open. You don't know what's going to happen or anything. Nothing's going to happen on an elevator with a stranger. That, that just doesn't make sense to me. I'm not worried about that. Neither was he. He wasn't worried about what would happen. He's worried about the perception of people. He's worried about the door opens and there's only the two of them in there and maybe somebody has a different look. Maybe one of them decides, oh, this is my floor and gets off and it causes anything that a perception becomes that something was going on there. Perception becomes reality to the one who perceives it, whether it's true or not. I said perception becomes reality to the one who perceives it, whether it's true or not. He didn't want the doors to open and somebody perceived that something wrong was going on. So he stayed away from the appearance of evil. I read a story just in the past week about a missionary that went and preached at a church. He was preaching there on Sunday morning, Sunday night at the first part. Um, they, they, he was doing the first two parts of the revival and then he'd be leaving 
on Monday morning to go somewhere else. And he said that he went to the church and he preached that morning. And after the message, one of the members, a man, came down and said, Sir, my wife and I were talking. We would love to have you come spend the day with us. If you just come have lunch, we're going to have lunch together. We've got a, a nice study. You can go there and take your nap. You can pray. You can do whatever you want to get ready for the evening. We'd just love to have you come stay. So the man took them up on their invitation that night. They go back to church. The man preaches at the end of the message. The, the, the same couple comes back and says, I know we talked about it today that you're staying over tonight and, and you're not going to leave to your next meeting until in the morning. We've got tons of room. There's no children still at home. We've got bedrooms. We'd love for you to just come have dinner. There's no reason for you to spend money on a hotel room. Just, just come stay with us. So again, the man accepts their invitation. He comes, they go sit down. The men are talking. They're in the den. The, the wife gets dinner ready. They go down. They're sitting at the table. And, and as they're sitting there talking, the wife's telling a story and notices that the man gets up and leaves for a moment and, didn't think too much about it until a few minutes later, the man comes back and he's changed clothes. And he has on his work clothes. And he says, preacher, it's been a pleasure to meet you, pleasure to get to know you. Um, sorry I got to run, but I work the night shift. And, and I got to leave now or, or I'm going to be late. And he leaves, and the man and the woman sitting at the table. Needless to say, the missionary is feeling quite awkward at the moment. And he's thinking, ain't no way. I'm staying here. So, so he tells the woman, thank you and your husband so much for your hospitality. Thank you for all the grace you've extended my way, but, but I must be going. I'm going to go ahead and get part of my journey started. And he go, goes ahead and leaves. See, it does not matter that nothing would have happened in that house that night. What matters is the appearance of evil. Number one, don't ever trust yourself too much. Don't ever put yourself in bad situations because they will bite you. But, but just as importantly, if not more so, it, is, it didn't matter that if nothing happened. It is the appearance of evil. It, it doesn't take long. Perception combined with gossip can destroy your testimony, even if you haven't done anything physically wrong. Paul doesn't say abstain from all evil. That's a given in the Word of God. He reminds us to abstain from the appearance of, of evil. Things that other people would see. Paul says, keep ourselves away from anything that would cause others to doubt where we truly are. Verse 23, very God of peace, sanctify you holy, and I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse 24, this was the preacher's favorite passage. Pastor Charles Chapman, this is his favorite passage. 1 Thessalonians 5, 24, faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. That's not just a calling to preach. That's to call you, period. That's to call you out. I, I praise God that I was called out. I was drawn of the Holy Spirit, and I've trusted Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. He called me, brother. Are you thankful for a call down there on a judgment journey trail? He called out. I'm thankful for a call. It says that, that he calleth you. So Paul, Paul takes everything into account. Number one, there's no possibility of a truly saved person being lost. I, I grew up contrary to that my whole life. I'm telling you based on the scriptures, the word of God, my own studies, there is no possibility of a truly saved, washed in the blood of the Lamb of God, justified, all my sins are, are washed away, cast away as far as the east is from the west, never to be brought up again, never to be remembered. Old things have truly passed away. Behold, all things have become new. There's a seal upon my forehead, labels me as a child of God. That seal will never be taken off. 
There is nothing that can take away my salvation. God is faithful. God keeps his word. When he called us, he knew what he was getting. He knew everything about us. He knew every sin past, every sin present. You ready? Every sin future. You're not through sinning. I say it all the time, especially if you drive in this town. You're not through thinking things against somebody. So, so God has forgiven us for sin past, sin present, sin future. Paul said in Romans 8, 28, that, that we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he did also predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. Whom he called, them he also justified. Whom he justified, them he also glorified. All of those verbs are in past tense. It's already settled in heaven. We, we have absolutely no doubt that God will do it. Our eternal security is settled beyond all question. It's God that holds my security and nobody can take it out of his hands. Now, let me, let me real quick on predestinate, because I spent a lot of years, and God finally showed me an answer. He made me study a lot of stuff. But let me, in case anybody misses this, predestinate is not a term right there that means he decided who's going to go to heaven and who's going to go to hell. He did not predestine anyone to go to hell. But what it does mean is that God already knew who would go to hell, because God can already see eternity. If he didn't, how did he show John Revelation? If he didn't, how do we know about the seven years of the tribulation period? How's he already shown his pictures? If he didn't, how could he know about the thousand-year millennial reign? How could he know about the great white throne of judgment after the thousand-year millennial reign, after Satan has been loosed after the thousand years and, and loosed from the bottomless pit and, and goes out? How can we know about the great final war, the battle of Armageddon? How can we know those things? We know those things because God told us. God told us those things because God already sees those things. So God already knows what happens at those things. God can already see who's going to go to hell. You say, well, why would God let somebody be born if he knows they're going to go to hell? I mean, honestly, if you lived 100 years in this life and you were a billionaire your entire life and lived the best life that this, that this planet has to offer for 100 years and you died, what is that next to misery of an eternal hell? What is 100 years of being able to buy things and afford things and put up with all the stuff to, to spend an eternity in the lake of fire, in, in torment? Why, why would God let them be born? Because they made their own choice. That, that's the deal with you and I. God did not make us to be creatures that had to serve him. God made us creatures that have a choice to serve him. I chose to be saved. You chose to be saved. I chose to be washed in the blood. I chose to get baptized. I chose to accept the free gift of God. You chose to, to have your name written in the Lamb's book of life. You chose to be here this morning as a child of the King. You chose those things. They chose theirs. God simply knows the choices. Even though they went to hell, they went there by their own choice. Jesus came. Jesus paid the price. Jesus rose from the grave. Jesus said, here's the free gift. You want it, it's yours. Eternal life is yours for the asking. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whoever it is, just come. Here's the gift. The price is paid. It's all there. It's a free gift. All you have to do is receive the gift. But if you do not receive the gift, hell is your home. And nothing will change that when we leave 
this life. So, so God didn't send them there. They, they chose their self to go there. If you're here, if you're listening and you have never been saved, I'm telling you on the authority of the Word of God, you are going to hell if you do not change your direction. God says there is a place for those who die in their sin, but there is salvation in the name of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who paid price that you can trust Him as your Savior, confess your sins, be washed in the blood, and be a child of the King. But without that, hell is your home. God already knows. He did not predestine people as in assign them to hell. Predestine means that he just already knows the future. But the text says, faithful is he who calleth you, who also will do it. Faithfulness, thank God, is not founded on us. I said the faithfulness is not founded on us. We, we, we know that our prayers can be heard and that our prayers can be answered because the faithfulness is founded on him. 2 Thessalonians 3.3, 3, But the Lord is faithful who shall establish you and keep you from evil. 1 Corinthians 1.9, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. 2 Timothy 2.13, If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. The text doesn't say faithful was he, but faithful is he. It is a present participle. The word calleth doesn't mean that he called us, but that he is always calling us. Calleth us is a timeless act. The statement, we'll do it here, emphasizes the act of constantly doing. God is constantly calling us. In the Greek language, there's no word for it. The 56 men that, that translated over to the King James Version simply added the word it to complete the sentence in the English language and not to leave it without an end. But, but the, it simply means God has done it. Thank you, Jesus. God is doing it. And God will finish what he started. I'm not worried about my end. I already know it. No matter how I leave this earth, makes no difference when I leave here to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. So however I leave here, I know what I see next. It's going to be the face of my Savior. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Paul is completely convinced of, of the truth of what he said. This isn't the language of a man that's in doubt right here. This is somebody that is sold out on the Word of God. It says that he hath begun a good work in you. That, that can't be anything but the Lord. He's not referring to anything, anybody else. It's the Lord that began something good in us. It's the Lord that has redeemed us. And it is God that, that brought us to here. Woo, somebody in my will be listening right now. If you're in one of those storms right now, it is God that brought us to here. And it is the same God that will take us through here. He didn't bring us here without a cause. One of the Bible scholars wrote, and I'm sorry, I wrote down a quote. I didn't write who it was. I ran across the quote, but it says, it's on the fact that it was begun by God that he based his firm conviction that it would be permanent. Had it been the agency of man, he would have had no such conviction, for nothing that man does today can lay the foundation of a certain conviction that he will do the same thing tomorrow. If the perseverance of the Christian depended wholly on himself, there could be no sure evidence that he would ever reach heaven. Will perform, it means that he will carry it forward unto completion. He will perfect it. It's an intensive form of the word, meaning that it would be carried through to the end. God will carry on the work which he has begun. He will not leave it 
unfinished until the day of Jesus Christ refers to the day when Jesus Christ will call home the church. Paul gives us assurance that, that what God has begun in us will be carried out. God will not abandon what he has started in you. He will complete. He'll never give up on us. He's never going to quit on us. No reliance is to be placed on man keeping himself. That's the problem a lot of what I was taught growing up. Salvation was free. It was the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But then if I sinned, I could lose what I had. What good is that? Man, man is too, too able to make a mistake. Man, man is too weak. Man, man is too ready to fall into a temptation. Yeah, if you could lose it, you would. If we could keep the law, Jesus would have never come. If we could keep it in the first place and had no reason, just because you got saved doesn't mean you can perfectly keep the law. It means you're still going to make mistakes, but your sins are still washed in the blood and your name is still written in the Lamb's book of life. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. How do we do that? <laughs> By holding on to the one that holds on to us. By holding on to the one that won't ever let go. By praying at all times. I should have I written it down again. I've used it three or four weeks in a row where I read that. Um, what was the scholar? Somebody tell me. When you feel, pray when you feel like praying. For it would be bad to miss such an opportunity. And pray when you don't feel like praying. It would be a shame to remain in such a sinful condition. Charles Spurgeon, that's it, thank you. Charles Spurgeon wrote it that, that we are to pray evermore. When, when we're saved, we have the promise of the one who cannot lie. He cannot fail. He cannot be mistaken. He cannot stop. He cannot be tempted. He, he cannot change. He says so in his word that, that he's God, that he changes not and never be there. So two weeks ago, we looked at the same passage here from 517. Greg, you guys come on up. Van. Y'all going to do a song? Y'all got an invitation song? We, we looked at 517 to pray without ceasing. Last week, God gave us this message from Philippians 4, 6. Be careful for nothing. It is to be anxious for nothing. It is to be distracted by nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Verse number 7 answers a question on how. How, how can I rejoice? How can, can I rejoice evermore, be happy in all things by praying always? By, by turning to God in every situation. Verse number 7 says, And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. We don't have to understand him. We just have to trust him. We don't have to comprehend what is beyond our level of comprehension. God's already told us his ways are higher than our ways, his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. We're not going to understand a lot of things that God is doing. It's just do we trust him enough to be God? In the situation we're in, do we trust him enough to get us out of this? Can we pray during the darkest hour of the night? I want to ask if you guys go ahead and stand. First Peter chapter 1, verse 5. It says, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. 
wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than that of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, in whom having not seen, ye love, in whom though you, you see him not, yet believing, you rejoice with unspeakable, joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. God is always faithful. Never leave us, never forsake us, never turn his back on us, never leave us in a trial, never leave us in a storm. God's always there. No matter how low we feel, no matter how dark the night gets, no matter how bad the storm, the trial, the tribulation, God's always there. There's never a time that he'd leave us. Before these guys sing, I know sometimes I come back just in case somebody online or maybe even somebody in here, you've never trusted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. It would be a shame to be this close to heaven and end up in hell. Anytime you're in the presence of anybody that will tell you about the Son of God who can wash away all your sins and offer you salvation and you walk away from it, you're living in some dangerous ground. If you've never been saved, the Bible says now is the acceptable time. Paul said in Corinthians that this is the acceptable time. Today is a day of salvation. You can be saved today by trusting Jesus Christ. It has to start with confession of sins. For all of sin to come short of the glory of God, every one of us have to, have to confess our sins. We have to ask God to forgive us of our sins. If you've never trusted Christ, you can do that now. Ask Him to forgive you of your sins and to save your soul in the precious name of Jesus Christ. It's not some poem. I don't have some little magic script written down that you get to pray. It's by surrendering your heart to God. You give your life to Christ and you ask Christ to save you. You ask the Father to save you through the blood of Jesus Christ. You can be saved this morning. If you want to ask him to save your soul, confess your sins. Amen.